0: Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. (laughs) What a fantastic place. They always have exactly what I'm looking for.
1: That sounds cheesy, but their selection can't be beat. Well, maybe by the strand.
0: I can't believe they had this particular thing at Book Book. Just like the one Moss Hart used to use.
1: This is perfect for you. With how many shows you're seeing, this will help you keep track of everything that you take in.
0: This journal is going to do wonders for me. And I love how many posters and facts are in here too. I'm so glad we came down here to the Chelsea Market to wander around Book Book.
1: Well, while you got that, I found a few new books for me to read on the train.
0: That will be perfect for your daily commute to the theater. You
1: said it! I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew
0: Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the storied show, Act One. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. The four most powerful words in the English language are Act One, Scene One. Those words were spoken by one of the leading characters in our show today, Moss Hart. And we learned more about how he came, became the well-known writer-director and the director in the love letter of a show, Act One. But before we get mushy and all, let's go ahead and head to Act One, Scene One and set the stage.
1: The play is an adaptation of Moss Hart's autobiography, Act One. The play, narrated by the older Moss Hart, traces his life from being poor in the Bronx to becoming famous and successful as a Broadway writer and director. The play depicts Hart's meeting and collaboration with George S. Kaufman. Act One ends with the production of the Hart-Kaufman successful play, Once in a Lifetime, in 1930.
0: The design team for the show is as follows. Playwright and director, James Lapine, from the autobiography by Moss Hart. Set design by Beowulf Borrett, Costume design by Jane Greenwood. Lighting design by Ken Billington. Sound design by Dan Moses Schreier. Original music by Louis Rosen. Hair and wig design by Tom Watson. Makeup design by John Carter and choreography by Mimi Lieber.
1: The show premiered at the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center Theater on April 17, 2014, where it would play for 67 performances, closing on June 15, 2014.
0: It was filmed to be shown on the PBS television program Live from Lincoln Center. The film production was first televised on PBS in November 2015 and then uploaded to the Lincoln Center at Home YouTube page on June 19, 2020.
1: The show would be nominated for five Tony Awards that season and walk away with one that evening for Best Scenic Design of a Play for Beowith Borat.
0: So let's pull back the curtain and dive into our story.
1: 5-year-old Moss Hart lives with his parents and works hard in the summer, so he has time to write plays in the winter. Hart is also encouraged by his friend, Joe Hyman, who occasionally lends him money as well as moral support.
0: Eventually, after four years and five attempts at serious drama, he takes the advice of agent Richard Maxwell and discards the mantle of O'Neill and Ibsen and Shaw to write a comedy, Once in a Lifetime. Inspired by the newspaper headline, Talkies Sweep Hollywood, the play satirizes the Hollywood film industry's painful transition to sound.
1: Hart's knowledge of the subject comes from immersing himself for months in the pages of Variety, the fan magazines of Llewell Parson's column.
0: Producer Warren Stone, a fictional version of Jed Harris, keeps him waiting all day, then tells him to leave the manuscript and return. Eventually, they meet, and Stone mesmerizes Hart with his talk of what it means to be a playwright. When months pass without any word, Hart's friends sneak a copy to the play of the play to Sam Harris, who agrees to produce it if George Kaufman will collaborate and direct. Kaufman agrees, and so begins a partnership that will last until 1941.
1: The Atlantic City The Atlantic City Opening is a failure. Hart is distraught, and Kaufman tells Hart that he has gone dry. Hart spends all day at the beach and comes to Hoffman with his new idea for the second and third acts. Hart moves into Kaufman's house and they spend the summer reworking the play. It finally opens to rave reviews in New York City in September 1930. On opening night, Kaufman steps forward at the curtain call and says, 80% of this play is Moss Hart.
0: The The end. end. the parts of the show that we like that we maybe thought could be better but before we get into that i want to preface everything by saying there's a couple things important things are left out so this synopsis was actually from the film um because there's really not a good synopsis out there of the play um in fact there's really not a good synopsis of the autobiography
1: yeah
0: um you know so i guess we're like read the book um so this is the film but it puts you in the right ballpark, gives you the right gist. But the important, one of the main things that is missing, or who is missing, is the aunt. Um, Moss Hart had an aunt who was a big theater goer. This eccentric aunt, and the aunt's played by Andrea Martin, and she would go to theater and she'd come back and she would tell Moss all about what she had seen, and it really just inspired him and she was a huge influence and motivator of moss Hart, um and i and in a way moss heart kind of loved her more than anybody else so that's really important to the show um so as we were reading the synopsis i was like um where is the ant <laughs> right we need the ant character in all of this um, you know and, and and the family also did I mean they did support it they went to his opening and they were standing there and they were so supportive and even when the, it flopped in Atlantic City they thought it was fantastic you know um, there was a scene in the show I remember that reminded me of the story of um, Arthur Miller mm-hmm. um, I'm probably going to tell the story wrong but hopefully I just kind of get the gist but what it was is when one of I think it was when Arthur Miller's first big success opened on Broadway I think it was Death of a Salesman if I remember right he returned to his Brooklyn neighborhood and there was a, one of his classmates selling hot dogs on the street corner and Arthur Miller recognized him right mm-hmm. and you know he walks up to him and says Joe how you doing you know and, and the guy didn't recognize him he says Joe don't you know me It's me it's Artie and the guy still didn't recognize him. He says, so what are you up to these days? Oh, you know, I'm just working here on Mary, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's cool. And, and he goes, well, what are you up to? Oh, well, I became a playwright. A playwright? Whew. I don't know about if there's anything to be done in that. Unless, have you heard about this guy, Arthur Miller? Boy, is he a huge success. Like that, I wish that I could write like him or I knew a guy like that. And of course, you know, there's Arthur Miller like right there. Mm-hmm. You know, where, like, his neighborhood just didn't real like, what a huge success in the story he was. Well, they kind of had a similar scene like that where Moss Hart, after he, you know, is a success, there's finally he's getting a show to uh, just get mounted. His whole neighborhood's so proud of him. And they're having a big hurrah about it. And um, that just reminded me of that story about Arthur Miller. And I was like, poor Arthur Miller, like... <laughs> You know, one of the grandfathers of American drama. <laughs> Couldn't right. even get recognized on the street in his own neighborhood. Right. Oh. Uh, but anyway, back to Act One. I actually really love this story and this show. Um I didn't know much about Moss Hart or George S. Kaufman for that matter. I, I knew their names, but I really didn't know, know anything, about yeah. Them. yeah. So I loved learning about Moss Hart's story and his journey and just you know, with a lot of these, um, dare I say, forefathers of the modern American theater, um, you don't hear about their really long-term struggles or really how they came to be. You know, they they just seem to be in the right place at the right time, and one thing led to another, and bam, Irving Berlin. You know what I mean? Um, and this showed, like, no, he'd always wanted to be a playwright, and it took him so long just to get a piece considered to be produced.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, but that's how it is today. And it's like, yeah, it hasn't changed. Even the great Moss Hart, it it, it took him years to get his work produced. Mm-hmm. And the fact that George F. Co- S. Kaufman thought, oh, I'm just, you know, I, I'm this great superior director, and yeah, da-da-da-da, and I'm... Maybe i am just gone dry, or maybe it's you, but, you know, it just shows the, what's the word I'm looking for? The vanity, I guess, maybe even, of the theater? Yeah,
1: Yeah, vanity could be a good word for that. Because you do
0: have these well-known, well-established directors who, the name would attract you to a show, but sometimes they become a little dated or that's like it is past your time or I, we, they're trying
1: to chase success that they had previous and they're trying like to can't... recreate
0: what they've already done instead of creating something new
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and and so um i think that showed that really well the reason why i wanted to mention andrea martin and and the fact that she was in the show and the, the role of the aunt is it's not just the aunt that andrea played she played three other characters she also played um theatrical agent and she made she played I believe Kaufman's wife if I remember right mm-hmm. these these three influ- influential women um in Moss Hart's life and I just love Andrea Martin the woman can do no wrong she is such a fabulous character actress she just the number of of people that exist within her you know mm-hmm. um it's so phenomenal, and to play these three different women that helped to mold and, and shape Ma's heart was incredible. You Because, know, of course, she also had to, to, to create these stories as an actress, and she, each character had to meet Ma's heart for the first time at some point. So, you, yeah. you know, oh, I, I'm the agent. I don't know anything about you before, even though I've just spent the last 45 minutes being your aunt and watching you grow up. But now I know you for the first time, but, oh, now I'm Mrs. Kaufman, and I, I know I spent the last hour and a half like knowing you as an, as a theatrical agent, but I've never met you before, so we have to start a whole new relationship, you know? Yeah. That was incredible. So the set now, I'm sure you remember this.: The set is really the part that sticks out in my brain.: Well, why don't you, why don't you mention a few things before we go into the box? What was, what is it, why does it stick out in your brain?
1: So if you've ever been to Lincoln Center, um, you know how vast the space is. Uh-huh, But it never feels like that when it starts. And so for this, it started just this simple room. And the next thing you know, a, this giant house that appears to be a, an entire tenement building and then becomes a theater and just all this stuff like it just becomes this huge big playground. Um, in which the the story
0: takes place. See, I knew you remembered stuff. Um, the the this was a total love letter to Broadway and to the theater as a whole. You know, it showed just how how we all start at our humble roots and we come up from there, and how how personal theater is. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, within in theater there are dynasties that exist.
1: Oh yeah, like the Barrymores.
0: Yes. And, and others I mean you know um, um, God I'm trying to think there's a recent why where they've all won Tony's which is fine They're, I will say they usually tend to be humbler as opposed to maybe the Hollywood dynasties but in the theater anyone can make it that's the thing is it's such a this, this show proved that this is for anyone from anywhere you work hard enough and if you're passionate enough this art form will welcome you and build you up. And this show really inspired me to begin keeping my own theater journal, actually. When I learned that that's what Mozart did, I went, that is so smart. Why haven't I done that? And now I've got like four or five volumes, you know, on our bookshelf. And I write every show down. and Here's the ticket price. This is where I sat. Who was with me. What theater was that? Notable cast members. And breaking it all down. And it's brilliant because then as I'm putting shows together, I can go back and look at that and go, okay, now what was that show? Oh, and I thought that, you know, Instant reminder. Not to mention just what we think 30, 40 years from now when we go back and we look at that. hmm You know. Or I guess we could pull up an episode of Stage Whisper. I mean, Shameless listen. plug. <laughs>
1: Stage Whisper. Podcasting is the new journal.
0: journaling. I yeah. still like to write. So why don't we go and break some, some boxes? Yeah. Shatter some boxes. <laughs> Smash. Um... Let's go to the thing you remember most, which is that set. And I completely agree with you. I mean, listeners, if you ever get the chance to go to Lincoln Center to see a show, I mean, it is a flex of theirs to be like, Hi, we have an enormous stage. Thank you and good night. And
1: every time, every time, (laughs) I never think it's as big as it is. And then it does something and proves to me that it's bigger than I think it is. And this
0: was one of the first shows I remember. So usually, though... I mean, it rotates, but this was, like, a full, like, rotating set. And I just remember, like, the set didn't push back, and the next one moved in. It literally just revolved. Mm -hmm. And it would be like, we're at the tenement. Revolve. We're at the office. Revolve. We're at Kaufman's house. Revolve.
1: We're at the theater.
0: Revolve. We're at Atlantic City. Revolve. You know? Mm -hmm. And they could just, while they're revolving, I think they just had three separate spaces they could take down an entire space in the backstage area and put the next space up. Mm-hmm. And to have that kind of space was amazing. And it was. It was just enormous. You know, I look back and I'm like, no tenement, like that tent the, the recreation of that tenement on the Beaumont stage is definitely like five times bigger than the actual tenement really was. hmm <laughs> Easily. So, um it was I remember it being three stories tall. I do remember that. Mm-hmm. Um and I love the details to the set.
1: Yeah, it I mean I think of when they're in the small like when they're on the roof of Kaufman's apartment with all the other artists. Um, you know, the their New York version of a dinner party for Starving artists, you know. Um, I remember just how realistic that felt like it felt like we were
0: on a rooftop. Well, and I just love also how there were just minor little details that particularly between like Hart's lower class upbringing apartment that everything looked dark and dingy and dirty and just that set was going to break at any minute. And then you looked at Kaufman's and it had these great ornate moldings and carvings and
1: mm-hmm. fancy
0: furniture and it was more spacious. Occupy the same amount of space, but they felt more open and like you could breathe versus heart upbringing you know what I mean
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was just a little bit of details that separated their situation. I got moved like I was all moved interior in that um at the moment when they had all the different theater marquees that flew in towards the end it was the, so i I want to say I think. I want to say the producers played homage to this idea versus the other way around, I'd like to think. But they flew all these theater marquees in from back in the day. So you were seeing, like, the Beck and the Alvin and whatnot, um, which is where I think they had shows at. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how amazing. Of course, you know, at the end of the producers, they had spoof shows at all the different... Right. But it was it was like, wow, look at the stuff. Look, look what he got to do. He wrote shows that were produced at all these different, and or he directed at all these different theaters. That's incredible, you know? Um, speaking of incredible, I think we have to speak about the costumes.
1: The costumes were absolutely gorgeous. Um, I loved that they were very much of the time period. The 20s! Right? Well, it was the 20s and 30s, um, you know, because it was dealing with, you know...
0: Um, the Depression, the Roaring Twenties and all of that. Yeah. So I love... One thing I do love and I don't know what the appropriate time period is but I love a three-piece suit. Mm -hmm. I do. It's so just classy and snazzy and just... Well,
1: and for especially in America from God... Ever, the turn of the century <laughs>
0: forever the t- ever really since America the- was just America <laughs> right well
1: I mean you know really from the turn of the century to the f- 40s 60s the end of the 60s is kind of when the three piece suit was kind of the standard in the men's fashion and there were the slight alterations
0: phasing really out of the word I was yes for. yes yeah because to make it a three-piece suit, if I'm thinking right, if I'm being intelligent, it's the vest. Yes. Yeah, and the '70s definitely the vest for that, but it looks so, so yeah. catty. Uh, classy, catty. Wow. 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 I love the dresses as well. Now these are not swing dresses. No. No, but they're the, they're the lower-hipped ones, right?
1: That would be the '20s. Yeah, the dropped waist. The
0: dropped waist. Um, and
1: then yeah. the '30s is when we start to see it. Rising back up again, but then we're going back to more of a traditional
0: silhouette mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is kind of, like, form-flowing is mm-hmm. kind of the word I want to use. And I loved Andrea Martin's elaborate outfits as the aunt when she was going to theater because that's where the eccentric, eccentricies, eccentricies, like, exists? Yep. Yeah, they existed because they... The colors and the jewelry and the fabrics were just...
1: Especially because these people didn't have a lot of money. No. And so she had... It's like when she went to the theater, she put on every single nice thing that she owned.
0: Or what she perceived as nice. Yes. For some reason, and I I don't know, i got to find the picture maybe, but for some reason I thought she had some, like, LeMay outfit at one point. And Mm. I was like, who is wearing LeMay like that? You know what I mean? Because, of course, most theater goers are wearing, like, furs and things like that and she's showing up like a tinfoil person you know (laughs) and I'm like okay but that that was her character yeah and and that's it worked so well I really appreciated the color palette that was created which was browns and blacks and it played into that muted dim dark I don't want to say depressive but this was not like the happy-go-lucky show this was definitely a show about struggle yeah, about struggles, about disappointments, about you know, missing the bus a lot, you know, mm-hmm. um, and finally getting that one, that all all the times you you fail, but then all of a sudden you finally get one win. We didn't learn about all of the successes that Moss Hart had. We just learned about the, the first one. exactly, um, and that played really well with the palette of the set. Because when we were dealing with Moss Hart, typically, he was in these brown sets. And then with Kaufman, he had these black black and white sets. You know? Um, so I thought that was a really smart choice. So we didn't see these really colorful, creative, imaginative palettes. Um, which I think leads us to our well, next box that will break down. Scrunch, scrunch. Um, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> which was the lighting. It down. Um, and adding on to that, which the lighting to me was really well done, uh, it, there was a lot of... It was very dark and shadowy.
1: It, it felt like it was sepia-toned.
0: I love that word. Yeah. Yes. Except, except the exact space where the action was taking place. Correct. We we just had that little bit of... Yeah, and it wasn't just spotlight. I mean, obviously, they, they you know, in the theater we use spotlight, but there was that the area around it was, like, lit up. Almost like if you were, ironically, if you were reading a book, you know, and they had, like, that illustration Mm -hmm. on a page, and it was, like, kind of pencil sketch. Okay. It was almost like the the stage was a page in a book, and the scene being acted was, like, pencil sketched. But the rest of the page would be dark. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: Kind of thing.
1: I get that feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just everything felt very... I mean, it played with highlights and shadows. Yeah. That's exactly what it did, which is what the purpose of lighting is. And to of course, with, I think but.
0: at the time as well, in the theater it was not the happiest of time. I mean, even the 20s with all the success that we saw, we knew what loomed ahead. I mean, not at the time, but now we know what looms ahead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, the overall stage was kept dim and demure. But when the actors were at like home they had like a more lit up area not just spots we already talked about that kind of way but it just felt more lively when they were in were together or something
1: this feels like to me and especially with the lighting it felt like a movie where they were shifting your focus but with the lights like not in a way like where when you watch a play and it's like a movie and you're like come on, they're two different art forms. No, this was doing a very successful job of using light to pan the eye where they wanted you to look.
0: Yes. So the last box I want us to talk about is direction. Um, James LaPine, who I really, really appreciate James LaPine's direction. He's a unique director. Didn't James LaPine write the script? He did. He often does this where he usually writes the book or the 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 script and he directs as well because he's done that several times with um like uh into the woods or um flying over sunset something in the park um and i just appreciate it because he has a different way of looking at the world and then presenting it to us Mm -hmm. you know it, it, it is realistic but not necessarily realistic and it's not it's also not like sad If that makes sense. It is definitely not like, oh, the world is a sad, sad place. But it's so realistic. We don't get the happy-go-lucky. Which is why I appreciate that a lot of his shows are not these... Yep, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, happy, happy, happy. But -hmm. they're just to remind you that, like, the world is real. And joy comes from suffering, almost.
1: Right. Well, and I feel like the easiest way to describe it is it has depth.
0: Yes. Yes, I love that.
1: It can't live... Like, his works and the way that he sees the world... Is in layers. It's like an oil painting where mm-hmm. you have... So the park with children. Ah, right. That. But that's where you can actually see the depth, the physical depth of things.
0: Yes. Um, this was a very conversational show. Very wordy in the best way. You know, this was not a show that had a lot, a ton of action. But that was fine because we were really into the conversation of wanting to know... Why did you say this? And how did this carry over? And yet to, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just really good. It kept me interested in where this is, this next thing is going to lead. Um, so it was a show that could have easily been very casual conversation. Uh, what we call kitchen table. We were just sitting mm-hmm. around and shooting the breeze. Um, but instead, it had a lot of energy and a lot of intensity to it. So even just a simple conversation that could be around the kitchen table... Had momentum to it, which was fantastic. Having uh, Kaufman and Hart having a conversation at the top of the stairs when they're sad and still had all this energy behind it. It, it didn't feel lackluster. It didn't feel like they were just yelpa dope. You know what I mean? Like it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was movement.
1: I also loved how you had these standout actors that played multiple parts. That didn't steal the scenes. Yes. Um, they which,
0: shared the space. Mm-hmm,
1: which, I mean, it, I feel like it could be really easy to let those actors kind of do their thing and very easily become the focus even when they're not. Um, so I love that. And then I also loved that we got to see um, three different uh, ages of Moss Hart. And the oldest being Tony Shaloub, who also played... Kaufman.
0: Oh, okay. I do not remember that.
1: Yeah. So he played not only he played not only Kaufman, but he also played. Um,
0: the oldest Mouse heart at the end. Of and his, life. his father. Oh. And
1: so the fact of having, I love that brilliant visual of having some of the the two men that were fathers to him, and then he becomes them. Quite that is visually quite good. interesting. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that was intended, but that's kind of the story, the subtext I got out of the way that that was cast and played.
0: That's really smart. I did not pick up on that. Mm -hmm. I didn't see. I was too focused on Andrea Martin. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) The show has had several notable performers, including Andrea Martin, Santino Fontana, and Tony Shalhoub.
0: now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history Um, theatrical impact um, I would say it brought Moss Hart's story to the stage
1: and it re-brought Moss Hart's name into our consciousness as theater goers
0: Uh, yes and and that's an important name and I would say also George's Kaufman yeah can't forget him yeah but um, yeah mainly Moss Hart and then also I would say it's another love letter to the theater you got to love a show that just you got to love a love letter to the theater.
1: Well, and what I love about it is it is that kind of love that causes pain because you see him hating theater and he hates the industry, but at the end of the day he still loves
0: it. There's you can't think of anything else to do.
1: Mhm. And so I will say th- the love letter with
0: it is like a, a toxic relationship. Well, I mean, we, look, it's... we've all been there in the theater where we've had those days and those moments where we're like, this is killing me. I, can't, I don't know how I'm going to keep doing this. This is killing me. But also then if we take a step back and go, I, I should probably go and do something else. I should go get a muggle job. And then we have that like rude awakening of, yeah, I can't do anything else. I can't go work in the Muggle world. I have to stay in the theater world, even if it kills me. It's still better. It's what I wake up for. This is what I live for. Um, mm-hmm. And you find a way to make it work. And that's exactly what Masar did. He's like, okay, I have to make this work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna overpower my my. Uh, what does RuPaul call them? My saboteurs, you know. And just mm-hmm. I'm gonna find a way, and he did. And I think that all of us in the theater, we have to find that because I mean, look, we all don't wake up every day and eat rainbows and like, yay theater. Like we have those days where we're like, oh my God, how am I gonna like really, Mm -hmm. we find a way and then we, we remind ourselves that we were so lucky and blessed to get to do this.
1: And we love what we do.
0: Yes. Um, as for societal impact, if anything, I think it inspired a younger audience or even an audience in general to pursue their dreams as well as to document their experience in the theater. I had really never thought to journal my experience in the theater to like write down
1: mm-hmm. what I
0: thought because I didn't want to like go home and be like Dear Diary tonight I saw The Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. and let me tell you Right He the Hound
1: Well and um in the little books that they made, uh, they made they made little theater journals from the show that replicated Moss Hart. Yeah. and they had a rubric because he used a rubric system, yes um, to help rate his rate his viewing experience. And I I don't know why I never thought of that because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I either liked it or didn't like it, but it really helped open my mind up to, it can, you know, there can be a scale.
0: Ironically, we that's one of the main tools we use to to shape and form our scripts. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we were go, getting together to write our scripts, it's like, so where do we start, you know? And literally, I pulled out one of my journals and I went, I mean, the answer seems to be here. We should talk about these items... <laughs> Right. And, and that, we should mention these things.
1: And that's why we break it into boxes, because yeah. Moss Hart broke and it and into a hundred boxes. Year, it's
0: a 100-year-old idea. Mm-hmm. And I, it was in 2014 that I saw the show, and I went, what an ingenious idea. So how many other people saw that? And like I said, how many people were inspired to just go get their dreams and go, mm-hmm. look how hard he worked? You know? So that leads us to the big question. Is this show still relevant?
1: I don't think it is for Broadway.
0: I really like this show and I think it's a perfect show for collegiate and regional theaters, but I don't think it's relevant for Broadway right now. I don't. I think there are other stories that need to be told in this current moment. But Mm -hmm. I just I think right now not for Broadway.
1: promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show.
0: So we had the good fortune of getting to see the show once, back in 2014. So, speaking of theater journals, uh, I had to consult my theater journal to confirm this first one, which was, this was our first show at Lincoln Center Theater at the Beaumont.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, which I was like, seriously? 2014? I have been going to New York. My first trip was in 96, but then I've been going every year since 2006. And I was like, 2014? I finally go to Lincoln Center at 2014? What is wrong with me? <laughs> you know? Right. But uh, it's such a, first of all, beautiful plaza facility, all that. I can't wait to go to the other facilities where the Met, and the Phil and the Ballet are, you know. Um, and yes, I know the name of those theaters, but we don't need to go into now. Kevin you in there. Um mm-hmm. but the uh, the Beaumont Theater uh, is beautiful, and the fact that there's two other the theaters and there's great, and that the 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 pool up front and the green space—it's just so lovely. Um, mm-hmm. But then afterwards, meeting the cast mm-hmm. was incredible. Especially Andrea Martin again. <laughs> I just love that woman, America's Grandma, um, and then Santino and Tony. I mean, Tony's a, a, a just a legend, but then Santino that at that moment. Now, so th- this is the thing, right? Here is how out of the loop I am, friends and kiddos out there. I am there at the stage door, and there are probably a bunch of other. There's a bunch of other people who are at least ten years younger than me. Maybe 15. And I'm like, that's so cool. The younger kids are coming to the show. But I was genuinely like, oh my gosh, Santino Fontana. What an incredible job. This was an amazing job of this actor. I'm so happy. Yay. Right? Mm-hmm. I purely wanted his autograph because he did a great performance on stage. Afterwards, you were the one that mentioned. And I was like, I wonder why everybody was like so excited just for him. Like, you would have thought Tony Shalhoub, he's like the bigger star. Or even Andrea Martin.
1: And I just and turned him, and I was like... Um, he played, uh,
0: Hans in In Frozen. Frozen. And I was like, that's why there were all these younger (laughs) people there. Like, did they even care about the show? You know? And I was like, okay.
1: Well, and the the other, the other thing that I really remember about the show is we were there the day it was filmed. Yes. We were there at the filming.
0: Yes. And so I've seen how pbs does it where they do the three camera format you know um which is why i've always said like i love the idea of 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 doing you know these musicals and that live but i'm always like can you just do the pbs approach though the three camera format and stop doing the sound stages where it's way too elaborate and then you have sound issues and it just doesn't work stop doing all that just go to a theater put the show on like a regular show Put your three cameras. You can have a a swing camera as well, like a boom camera. Mm -hmm. And it looks so good. It looks so good. That's how they found Hamilton. Yeah. And And it looks so good. And it did not disrupt the audience viewing. No. No. Not even a little. So. And then I remember going out the very next day uh, to a bookstore and finding, uh, it was a book book at the Mm Chelsea Market, finding the theater journal. And I'm now, I think, on my fifth volume in... Yeah, so this show just it's, it had a lasting impact on me. I'm so happy that we saw it. Um, speaking of things I'm happy about, theater's back and we hope you can join us at a show soon. I
1: hope you'll be able to catch Act One at a theater near you.
0: We also want to remind you that you can now become a patron or a producer of the show by getting your backstage pass.
1: Information about our backstage pass can be found at patreon.com slash Stage Whisper Pod. So until next time,
0: I'm Andrew Cortez.
1: And I'm Hope Bird.
0: Remind you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York. Time.
1: If you'd like what you hear, please leave a five star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, Quantum Jazz, Kevin McLeod and Billy Moore.